We're going to continue our series in the Old Testament book of Ruth, and uh, uh, we're going to look at chapter 3 this afternoon, so if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, please do open them uh, to chapter 3. Some of you uh, follow uh, the community Bible reading or seeing uh, seeing Jesus together uh, uh, with, with other people within the church, and if you're doing that, and if you're following the Old Testament uh, uh, through, then you will have read uh, Ruth chapter 3 uh, just on Friday, actually. Uh, so uh, we're in the same place as uh, seeing Jesus together. Uh, there are only four chapters in this book, but it contains an account that is fast-moving uh, and full of twists and turns. Uh, I, I would liken it to a, a TV series, in a sense, where uh, actually you are gripped by the story, uh, so much so that actually the indisciplined would binge uh, watch the series, and maybe some of you have binge watched uh, or read uh, the book of Ruth, because it it grips you. You wonder what's coming next, you know? And uh, sometimes you think you're expecting one turn and actually it goes a different way, and you think, what's happening? And then, and then you read on, and, and perhaps it comes back to what you were expecting. But it's full of twists and turns. But what I want you to just remember as we go through this this afternoon is that these are real people. Ruth is a real person. Boaz is a real person. You know, the family is a real family going through the ups and downs of family life. And so we're going to pick the story up in... Uh, in chapter 3, it's a story that, that, that talks about transformation on two levels. It talks about the transformation for uh, Naomi and Ruth and their family uh, from a position where they were empty and came to fullness. But actually, it talks about what Christ has done for us. Owen, when he launched the series, talked about the way in which this is a picture of Jesus coming points forward to the transformation that is on offer for you and for me in the coming of Jesus. Just as in a serialized drama, I'm going to give you a very brief recap on the previous two episodes or chapters, Uh, but I'd encourage you to listen online to the messages if you miss them. So in chapter one, you know, famine has hit Bethlehem in Judah, and a man called Elimelech took his wife Naomi and his two sons from there to a foreign land called Moab in search of food. He left the land that God had provided for them, not trusting God to provide food for them, and fled to a country where the people worshipped other gods. Elimelech then dies and his two sons, Marlon and Chilion, They broke God's laws for his people in taking Moabite women to be their wives. Marlon married Ruth and Chilion married Orpah. And within 10 years, both those sons had died also, leaving Naomi with just her two daughters-in-law. And then Naomi hears that God has provided food back in Judah. So she decides to go back and gives her two daughters-in-law the option, fully expecting them to stay with their people and continue to worship their God. But Ruth defies all of that and says, no, I'm going to come with you. 
Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so when they return to Jerusalem, it's harvest time, and Ruth goes to work in the fields. It turned out that the fields that she chose to work belonged to Boaz, a landowner who was a relative of Elimelech. And he recognized Ruth's kindness in looking after Naomi, in sticking with Naomi through difficult times, her loyalty. And he made sure that she was protected as a result. There's so much more in those first two chapters, but to get the full benefit, you need to listen online if you missed the, uh, the, uh, the talks in person. So I want us to look now at chapter 3. Uh, turn to it if you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, if not, the, the words will come on the screen behind me. I want to look at chapter 3 in three distinct sections. We'll read a section at a time and then dig into what God is saying through that before moving on. Section one is the first five verses, but for context, uh, we're going to pick it up from uh, chapter 2 and verse 19. And we read, And her mother-in-law, that's Naomi, said to Ruth, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my, by my men, my, by my young men, until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And then in chapter 3, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not rest? Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with, whom, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down... Observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. Here we see Naomi coming up with the plan. <laughs> These days we might call it matchmaking. When she talks of seeking rest for Ruth, She's talking about marriage, about Ruth having someone who will care for her and provide for her. The fact that she feels able to plan for the future is a huge step forward for Naomi. She was in a really bad place at the end of chapter one when 
she and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem and told the people to call her Mara because the Almighty has made, me very, made my life very bitter. I wonder, you know, have you been there? Have you been in that place of bitterness? Has there been a time for you when you felt deserted by God? You felt mistakenly that the situation you find yourself in is of his making. I can recall a time when I was made redundant after 16 years with the same company, a company where it seemed my future was secure, not just secure, but actually mapped out for me. I went through all the commonly felt emotions of anger, anxiety, upset and depression while I was in that place. And while I was in that place, I was powerless to act. It was only when I emerged from that, came back to an understanding and an acceptance that God is in charge that I was able to start thinking properly and planning ahead. So it was for Naomi. When James shared on chapter 2 last week, we saw that Naomi came back to an acceptance of God's sovereignty. Having identified that she had a relative named Boaz, she didn't send Ruth directly to seek him out and to work into his fields. But as we read on, it says... Ruth happened to come to a part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Well, fancy that. Who could imagine? She just happened to come to a part of the field that belonged to Boaz, this relative of Naomi's and Elimelech's. And through the kindness of Boaz to Ruth, Naomi comes back to that place of accepting that God is in charge. He knows what he's doing. And that allows Naomi to plan ahead for the future with hope. You may wonder whether we should plan for ourselves if we truly believe that God is in charge. Well, God, our creator, has given us the ability to think for ourselves, to make decisions for ourselves. We're not some kind of automatons. So there's nothing wrong with drawing up plans, but in doing so, we need to be mindful of what, scripture, what Scripture teaches and not do things that run counter to what we read in Scripture. In his New Testament letter, James cautions us in our planning to recognize that our lives are in God's hands and that our very existence could be snuffed out at any time. So he tells us when planning to have the attitude, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We need to remember our times are in God's hands. So Naomi devises a plan for Ruth, one which at first, thought, at first glance you might think of as strange, maybe even completely bonkers. We read in the closing verses of chapter 2, of the risk of Ruth being assaulted if she strayed into other fields. And even Boaz had to warn his own men not to touch her. 
She was clearly a vulnerable woman. And yet Naomi's plan was for her to go at night to the threshing floor where Boaz and his laborers had been partying following the end of the harvest. And when Boaz lay down and was asleep to uncover his feet and lie down. Your pardon me wants to cry out, Naomi, are you crazy? You're sending an attractive young woman, beautifully dressed, smelling a sweet perfume into a place where there's a group of men who, if not drunk, are certainly in good spirits by this time. You're putting her at such risk, both physically and reputationally. And to compound matters, Naomi tells Ruth that once she's laid down at, Naomi's, at Boaz's feet, he will tell her what to do. You might have thought that Ruth would object to Naomi's plan, fearing what it might lead to. But she was happy to do as Naomi suggested. So what's going on here? Well, Naomi knew that Boaz was a righteous man, a worthy man, it says. And that as a relative of Elimelech, quite possibly a nephew and therefore a cousin of Marlon, he was a potential kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Naomi would have known the requirements of the law regarding widows. In these times, it was incredibly difficult for a woman without a husband or a male protector to live. She would struggle to find food to feed herself and any offspring and would be extremely vulnerable. So the law made provision in that the nearest male relative would redeem any property and take the widow as his wife in order to perpetuate the family name. The law also prescribed what should happen if the nearest male relative was unwilling to act in this way. In sending Ruth to Boaz, Naomi was wanting this to result in marriage and him taking care of Ruth and in turn, her, Naomi herself. The plan was set. Let's read on for part two. In the implementation of the plan, verses six to 10, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You know, it would have been perfectly normal for Boaz as a landowner to sleep where the grain was stored. He would have been there to ensure that none of it was stolen. It's quite probable he would have slept away from the other men 
because of his position. It was important for Ruth's safety and for the reputations of them both that they weren't awoken by her approach to Boaz or by his reaction. Ruth has observed where he went to lie down after the feast, and once he's settled, she executes the plan. Seemingly, her actions didn't awaken him immediately, but we're told that he awoke at midnight to find her lying there. There then follows an exchange, a brief exchange, which must have been in hushed tones to avoid waking the other men. Ruth maintains her humility in describing herself as his servant, even though the hoped-for outcome was something that was very different to that. There's huge significance to the request that she then makes. Significance she may not have fully understood, but in the request Ruth makes in verse 9, translated here as spread your wings, Ruth uses the Hebrew word kornauf. Don't ask me, don't, uh, don't test me on whether that's the right pronunciation. Kornauf, translated elsewhere as spread thy skirt or spread the corner of your garment. And elsewhere, take me under the, your pro protective wing. Spread your covering. Kornauf is the same word that Boaz used in their earlier encounter in the field, recorded in chapter 2 and verse 12, when he describes salvation coming out from under the Lord's wings. Your commentators tell us that this is the same word that is used in Malachi to prophesy that healing redemption will flow out of the coming Messiah. She's basically saying to, to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment or cloak over me, since you are a redeemer for our family. It was a marriage request. You know, it's some three months since Boaz first came across Ruth. And he'll have known from that time that he was a close relative of Elimelech and therefore a potential kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Now the norm would have been for the kinsman redeemer to make the first move, but he hadn't done so. As we read on, we'll discover why. But now Ruth makes her request. This must have been huge for her, a woman from Moab a nation that was despised by the Jews, essentially to ask an older man, a God-fearing Jewish man, to take her as his wife. Boaz still re refers to her as my daughter, honorable man that he was. He's already highlighted and commended her for her kindness towards Naomi. We saw that in chapter two. And now he commends her again for even considering him, an older man, a much older man, to be her husband, when there were so many younger available men around. He appears flattered by her approach. So we've seen the plan and the implementation. Let's read on to discover the outcome. So reading from verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. 
And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The first thing we note from this section is the description of Ruth as being a worthy woman. As James reminded us last week, Ruth was not just a foreign woman, but she came from a nation that was despised by the Jews, a nation whose foundations were built on an incestuous relationship. More than that, she was a widow, daughter-in-law of another widow in Naomi. Their family had no means of providing for themselves. They could be seen as a drain on the resources of, of Bethlehem at a time when they would not very long emerged from a period of famine. Yet this woman had come to a place where she was respected by all the townsmen and seen as worthy. She had come to trust in Yahweh the God of the Jews. You remember her words to to Naomi, your God shall be my God. She was therefore following the path that he wanted for her. She could have gone after any of the younger men in town, but instead she chose to observe God's will and to be married within the family of Elimelech. And as a result, to ask Boaz to marry her. As someone who's now come to be part of the family of Yahweh, she observed the custom and law that we see laid down in Deuteronomy 25, where it specifies what should happen amongst the Jewish people when someone was widowed. The passage says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of a dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of her husband's brother to her. And the first son that she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. The principle was that the widow should not be married outside of the family. It was to perpetuate the family name And Ruth now chose to abide by the law. The response we see from Boaz confirms him to be a God-fearing man. 
a man who is honorable. The reason he hasn't made the first move, although he clearly cared very deeply for Ruth, was that he knew that there was a family member with closer ties to Elimelech than he had. And it was that person's position to act as Ruth's redeemer. Being honorable, Boaz couldn't give a definitive answer, but he gave her an absolute assurance that he would see to it that Ruth was redeemed. If the closer relative would not act, he, Boaz, would take Ruth as his wife. And he kept her safe until the morning and then sent her back to Naomi before the other workers awoke to preserve both their reputations. Then we see he didn't send her back empty-handed. There was like an engagement present here. He sent her back with a generous quantity of barley as a further sign of his affection for her and for Naomi. You know, in all of this story, in chapter 3, but also in chapters 1 and 2, we see God's sovereignty at work. In chapter 3, we see it in Naomi's plan. We see it in Ruth's being prepared to follow that plan in Boaz's response and his willingness to act as redeemer, even though he had no legal obligation to do so. In introducing this series, Owen said it was the start of our run-up to Christmas because this story points to the coming of Jesus and the redemption that is available to us through him. So how does what we read in chapter 3 align with this? Well, firstly, we need to be redeemed. You know, Ruth need to, needed to be redeemed because she was, had no one to be her provider without a redeemer. For her, it was so that she and Naomi could be fed and protected and so that their family line could continue so that they could enjoy life in all its fullness. Paul, when he was writing his letter to the Romans, tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We were each born with a sinful nature. But it wasn't very long before we became sinners by choice and by habit. Our sin causes a separation between us and God. Just as when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were driven from God's presence, so our sin causes us to be separated from God. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 59, we read, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And then we know that there is a price to pay for our sin. Paul again writing to the Romans says the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know we need to be redeemed because otherwise our future eternal destiny is far far bleaker than what faced Ruth. Thank God that in Jesus we can have a redeemer. A redeemer is at hand. 
just as Naomi saw the urgency to act, as the harvest was coming to an end and the opportunity for Ruth to encounter Boaz would be limited, so there is an urgency for us to act. I want to say to you this afternoon, if you have not yet responded in humble submission to Jesus, as Ruth did to Boaz, there's a pressing need to do so. But you know, also for for those who have, this passage reminds us that there's a pressing need for us to help others around us to see their need for a redeemer too. It's not something that we can keep to ourselves. Secondly, there is only one redeemer. You know, in God's plan, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer that he had chosen for Ruth. And without wishing to go into a spoiler for chapter four, but the other kinsman redeemer, the closer relative, would show himself unwilling and inappropriate as the one who would provide a secure future for Ruth. Your people are floundering around today seeking satisfaction and hope in all sorts of things. You may be seeking your satisfaction or hope in material wealth, in fame and fortune, in career achievements, in power and influence, all things that might bring some temporary satisfaction or enjoyment, but things that will not last, things that have no eternal significance. Others are, others are exploring other religions which promote performance and good works as the means to salvation. Jesus has made it clear that there is only one route to salvation and to an eternity spent with him. And that is through faith in him. In Acts chapter 4, part of Peter's great sermon after the day of Pentecost he says and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved we all need a redeemer there is only one redeemer and thirdly we need to ask you know Ruth needed to ask for Boaz to marry her, to be her redeemer. She needed to lie at Boaz's feet and act through which she was asking him to be her redeemer, to take her as his wife, to provide for her. And Boaz then did everything that was necessary for that to happen. Ruth recognized that she was powerless to change her situation by herself. Without a redeemer, she would face a future gathering the scraps in the field left over by the reapers, living a life of poverty with little or no bread. For her situation to change, she had to ask for help. You know, similarly, we need to recognize that there's nothing we can do, nothing to change the future that is ours without Christ in our lives. 
we have to ask for help. We need to ask for forgiveness for our sins. Knowing that Jesus has already done all that is necessary to purchase our freedom, to secure our future hope. When Jesus was teaching his disciples, after he performed the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, he told them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You know, we have that same absolute assurance that Boaz gave to Ruth that when we call on Jesus to save us, he will act just as Boaz acted for Ruth's benefit. And finally, he acts out of love. There were plenty of good reasons for Boaz not to agree to marry Ruth. In Deuteronomy 7, there's a warning to God's people not to marry into other nations for fear of their hearts being turned away from God. No offspring had resulted from Ruth's marriage to Marlon, so there was a possibility she was infertile and that no heir would be produced even if Boaz did marry her. In Deuteronomy 23, we're told that God's people are told that no Ammonites or Moabites or any of their descendants are to enter into the assembly of the Lord. Although this doesn't appear expressly to prevent a Moabite woman who's converted to the Jewish religion marrying a Jewish man. But Boaz acted He acted not out of compulsion. He acted out of love for Ruth. In the same way, our salvation is an act of loving kindness on Jesus' part. We bring nothing to him. We can do nothing to earn his favor. It's an act of grace, pure and simple. We read together John 3, uh, 16 uh, last week. James uh, read it to us. Uh, We're going to read it again this afternoon because it tells the story so succinctly. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved or redeemed through him. You know, we have a redeemer just as Ruth had one. And actually that story of Boaz redeeming Ruth contains so many illustrations of the love that God has shown for us in sending Jesus as we're going to remember in just a few weeks' time at this Christmas time. 
It's an amazing act of God's love and God's grace 